0: My census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. hero can be anyone, even a man doing something as simple and reassuring as putting a coat around a young boy's shoulders to let him know the world hadn't ended. Hey Mr. Rogers, it's a beautiful day!
1: on the gig then Remember, you wanted this
0: welcome to screen perspectives a podcast produced by the pittsburgh film office to share how people build successful careers in the screen industry be it film tv streaming etc screen perspectives was born out of many conversations with industry professionals sometimes over dinner sometimes over drinks and a lot of times driving around looking at the wonderful diversity of locations in southwestern pennsylvania Thousands of people make their living in the screen industry, which nationally tops $28 billion a year. Locally, the screen industry is responsible for over $150 million in new money to the Southwestern Pennsylvania region's economy. There really is no direct pathway to success in this industry. It's a lot of hard work, networking, and you have to sprinkle in a little bit of luck to be successful. The Pittsburgh Film Office is excited to share these amazing individual stories with you so you can learn how they did it and determine your best path forward. Screen Perspectives is hosted by me, Don Keiser, director of the Pittsburgh Film Office, and the incredible Kevin Smith, screenwriter extraordinaire, screenwriting instructor, and driving force of the broadcast program at the University of Pittsburgh. Thank you for joining us. Our guest on today's podcast is a network executive and independent producer. He has overseen the development and production of some of the most honored scripted films, series, and drama series for broadcast, cable, and streaming television services. Vlad Walnitz's projects have collectively been recognized with over 200 Emmy Award nominations, multiple Golden Globes, and three Peabody Awards. Vlad began his career at the age of 20 working for D'Antoni Productions under the tutelage of Philip D'Antoni, the Academy Award-winning producer of The French Connection, and cut his teeth on independent films Smoke, Blue in the Face, and Joe's Apartment. Vlad joined AMC initially as a development executive, producing their first original scripted series, Remember When, and The Lot. He was eventually named AMC's head of production, and in that role directly oversaw the development, production, and launching of Broken Trail, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, The Walking Dead, The Killing, Rubicon, and numerous other series and originals for the network, founding AMC Studios in 2009. He departed AMC to become the head of production for BBC Worldwide, producing multiple series for their domestic and international services, including Torchwood and Copper. In 2014, he signed an overall production deal with Paramount, which led to a number of series and telefilms, including The Mist and Waco. Vlad is currently the vice president of production for 101 Studios, overseeing the dramas George and Tammy, and The Mayor of Kingstown, filmed right here in Pittsburgh. We're thrilled to welcome Vlad Walnuts to the show today, and we're glad you're here to listen. Thanks. I'm excited for today's guest. I'm a big fan. As you know, uh, we're all big fans. That's why we're so thrilled that Vlad Wilnitz was able to join us today and share a little bit about his journey in this incredible industry film, TV, entertainment, call it what you will. So, hi, Vlad. Thanks for coming Hello. to join Hello. us today.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm getting over the idea of having fans. That's sort of, sort of, a- <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're big on the fans. Kevin's actually president of my fan club. I'm yes. the president of his. Oh, well, so, we'll yeah, fight well. over who gets to be the president. There, there are badges of yours. for yes. that. I have there's badges, yes, badges, there's t shirts, there's yeah. a whole mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) So Vlad was most recently here on Mayor of Kingstown, uh, which is on Paramount Plus currently. You can go watch the first two seasons and we're hoping to see him on a season three. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about how you actually started in the industry. How old were you? Where were you? How did it all happen?
1: Uh well there's a couple of chapters of it. I was on a Zoom with uh two guys I went to kindergarten with that I haven't spoken to in thirty years. And they had reminded oh don't worry, uh it's not a birthday anyone should remember. Once once you're above a certain altitude, you really don't want to <laughs> uh, um but um they'd reminded me that I was I was a film obsessive when I was in the second, third, fourth grade. You know, oh wow I was, and, and i i I knew that I loved films and stuff, but I, I hadn't I hadn't Recall that that was just the thing that was sort of known about me that that early, and kept coming up, coming up, coming up, coming up. The actual start of it was when I was uh, when I was 16. My father died quite suddenly, and I had a senior year of high school left. And you know, when when you lose a parent at that age, you kind of you understand suddenly how finite things are, you know, and and you you, you have one or two decisions. You can either kind of languish, or you can just determine to do the things that are high risk because. You know, here's an opportunity to do it. No one's gonna tell you not to, and and uh, you're young enough you can recover from anything. So so um, I took a uh, a seminar at the new school, which I spent all the money I had on. It must have been about seven hundred dollars or something, run by a guy named Richard Brown, who's kind of well known in, in academia. He'd done um, he'd done this class at NYU and at the new school where he would bring in you know, John Hurt or, 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 you know, David Lean or Francois Truffaut and just talk to students. I mean, I think, I think his first guest was, was Mel Brooks, who was his next door neighbor or something. That's kind of how it started. So the seminar that he ran for two days was just all these people from, from David Brown to John Albertson to, to you know, the head of Universal at the time, telling the worst possible stories of what it's actually like to be in the business. You know, at, at sixteen, you have this perception of, "Oh, I'll go to NYU, I'll get a degree in film, I'll become a director in three years." And that, you know, nothing like that at all. You know, it was quite. You know, it disabused me of any of that uh romantic idea and i remember spending the following week just kind of like you know, cradling my head in my hands with kind of like do i really want to do this 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 sounds terrifying what do you mean i have to move to la what do you have to mean i have to work for nothing for years and and then someday somebody might give me a break and what do you mean i have to get along with people you know which was the <laughs> yeah. and i just be the introvert i was obviously born to be and just just make films alone with no help whatsoever you know um so so once i got over that i uh, I started as an undergrad. I actually took a couple of semesters of Richard's class at the New School after that, which which helped quite a bit. And he became a very dear friend, actually. But I had another professor as an undergraduate uh, named Alan Seeger, who had worked in publicity for MGM in the '60s and early '70s. He did all the Bond films, for example, um, and he was a very good friend of people like David Pickers and and Phil D'Antoni. And and he very much became my second father. He absolutely taught me. I mean, and he was a he was a practical professor he was sort of a professional studies professor as opposed to a a an acad- a pure academic so he really worked in the field and you know he would say well there's a documentary filming this weekend do you want to work for 14 hours on saturday and get some experience you know and and, and so he so he slowly pulled me in and kind of made me run my my paces to see if i could handle it or not and after I graduated, he put me in touch with Phil D'Antoni, and his uh, head of development at the time was a woman named Paula Connolly, who's actually from Pittsburgh. Interesting um, enough, went, went to Carnegie Mellon. Um,
0: All the cool people did. Yeah, <laughs> so they did. from it, Pittsburgh, not just Carnegie I was, Mellon. Yes, I didn't mean it I that know. way. Okay, thank
1: you. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> I know where I'm sitting. Well, I just I just know that's where she went. no no no. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll leave her critiques to Pits- of Pittsburgh to her. <laughs> I, 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 I enjoyed my time there. So, so I started by reading scripts, and, and I had you know, so I made a great deal of money right out of college, just reading scripts and manuscripts. And I got so well known for it in the New York literary circle that I was was the guy who was called in on on a Thursday night where they had to absolutely have that 800 page Tom Clancy manuscript covered by 8 a.m. tomorrow morning so the head of universal could read the, the coverage because uh, obviously people in our business love to avoid reading anything longer than a couple of days <laughs> um, and that that circulated me around quite a few executives in the business inadvertently i got to know all the development executives in new york um, new york had a very big literary development scene at the time it, it doesn't quite exist the same way anymore but this is the early 90s so so new york was a very healthy place to get started uh, at least in development and um in working for Phil, he you know he he decided that I I I should get some serious production experience. So so there was a TV movie that was that he was making in Australia that I that I kibitzed on. There was Roger Corman, who he eventually got me in touch with, and who who I, I learned a great deal from. Much I'm I'm quoted in a bunch of Roger's biographies because I was there on the day he shot fifty two pages in fourteen hours. Oh wow! Right, and and I, it really happened. The call sheet is somewhere over here. It's about four and a half pages long, and it's just it's you know so so. So I had the best teachers. I had people who were from a, a very different generation of filmmakers, who, and I was one of the last to kind of, kind of bounce through their, their, their orbits. And eventually, I mean, I worked for Diana Phillips in, in Independent Features in New York, and then I bounced over to AMC when they hired Paul actually to run, run development there. And we made a little show called Remember When.
0: I thought for certain that life would never be the same again, my darling. I thought there was no way to turn back the hands of time, and yet. Here we are, things exactly as they used to be, the two of us together again and forever. Hmm,
1: the two of us. Which which ran for four or five years, which was set in Pittsburgh, which Rupert Holmes wrote. A wonderful little, we used to call it off Broadway TV, and it was this tiny, <laughs> tiny little <laughs> low budget show. I, I think it's finally back up on streaming. You can actually see it now. Uh, it, it had been unavailable for about 20 years. Um, and and it's, it's really where I learned how to do all the basics. After that, I, I, I did a few other things at, at uh, AMC. I did a show called The Lot, which, which uh, had a lot of great people involved in
0: Welcome it. Welcome to Hollywood. I want dirt, and I want it dirty. The year's 1937, but it may as well be today. Mm-hmm. It's Hollywood as you've never seen it on The Lot.
1: Coming up next, here on AMC. Cut! And it was the first thing I actually got a producing credit on. I think it was 26 by that point. Um, and uh bounced around a bit and then amc kind of you know they 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 blew up what they used to be they used to be this beautiful classic movie channel with no commercials which which i think all of us miss um terribly and in the interim they tried to become kind of a general entertainment network it clearly didn't work and they were on the verge of losing quite a few uh, i think something like 30 million subscribers out of their 70 million subscriber base so, so nearly overnight they lost half of their viewership and uh josh sapan who's the head of the company at the time Said we have three million dollars. We need to have our sopranos to save the entire company. And it was Rob Sorcher, Christina Wayne, and myself were the three execs that he said this to. And as we left the conference room, we were trading resume software because how the hell do you? That's like <laughs> so you, have, you, have, you have one at bat in Yankee Stadium, and you get one swing at one pitch, and you have to not like it's it's, it's and, 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 and Christina, God bless her, you know she she called. Uh, I think Keith Haddis was the manager. She called and and she said this, gave the whole recap to him and, well, and so funnily enough, there's a writer on The Sopranos who has this amazing script that hasn't been produced in seven years and it got him the job in The Sopranos, maybe we should take a look at it. Uh, so she got a stack of scripts and she handed me, uh, uh, I think I was the first one to read it, she handed me a script called Mad Men. I almost didn't say that I liked it because every show I had done up to that point was period and I, I was these were new people. I didn't know if we were, you know, we kind of got along, but I didn't know if, if, if this was going to work out. We, we may all be out of, out of work in a few weeks. And my reputation for loving period shows kind of, kind of preceded me. So, so I almost didn't tell her it was the best script that I read. And then we, we had breakfast one morning outside of William Morris. And I told her that no, this is the only one that's really worth doing. And then the rest, the rest kind of changed everything. It did save the business for $3 million and become the, you know, become all the things that it became. And 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 then you wake up one morning and suddenly everyone in the industry thinks you know what you're doing, which is a very dangerous moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, <laughs> and, and and here's the good news: you don't know any less than anyone else. That's definitely <laughs> the, you know, that's, <laughs> that's spectacular. <laughs> so so that's kind of the that, that's a very abridged version of the of the uh, of the beginnings of it. You've been listening to episode four of Screen Perspectives. Screen
0: Perspectives is hosted by Don Kieser and Kevin Smith. Produced and engineered by Max Glider, Isaiah Stewart, and Jennifer Booker. Music by Isaiah Stewart. Special
1: thanks to today's guest, Vlad Wolinitz, the Pittsburgh Film Office, and to the University of Pittsburgh. Screen Perspectives is a production of the Pittsburgh Film Office.